You know, what horses are to Lexington is what I think barbershops are to Northern Kentucky. You see, before we moved to Lexington, before we moved to 40509, we lived about 15 minutes from Great American Ballpark, just on this side of the river at the Kentucky-Ohio line and, and kind of all around the perimeter. And there are so many good barber shops up there. And, and so it was always kind of cool to check different ones out. I'd take my sons to them. But there was one barber shop that, that my son Grayson really liked. It's called Spanky's Barbershop. Now, it was called that because Sean, the owner, he, he looked a lot like Spanky from the Little Rascals growing up. So that became his nickname. And so he's kind of owned it. And now he's got a couple locations in Northern Kentucky. Well, Spanky's Barbershop uh, was a really unique place. And, and Grayson liked it, one, because he liked saying Spanky. It made him giggle. But then also he got to sit on a skateboard that was laid across the armrest. And he thought that was super cool. And so here's actually a picture of Grayson getting a haircut from Spanky himself. But, but what was really neat is that, that Spanky, he wasn't just confined to his barber shop. He wasn't just confined to those walls. What's really cool about Spanky and some of his buddies is that on most Sunday afternoons, they hit the streets with, their, like, with all their haircutting gear. In fact, they'll go to downtown Newport or Covington or, or across the river into downtown Cincinnati, and they will cut hair for homeless men and women, and they'll give beard trims. So here's a picture of Spanky downtown giving a haircut to this gentleman. And so that, that's so cool about Spanky and, and his whole team is that they worked really hard. They were very, very intentional about creating a place for everyone. And so it was, it was no surprise to walk into his barbershop and see a homeless man or like a young professional, or like an older, like Jimmy Buffett parrot head, and, and a kid like my son sitting in barber chairs, all receiving the same treatment. You see, at Spanky's, there are no outsiders, which is one of the struggles that I have with the church. Like, like can I just be honest for a moment? Because personally, I've not always felt like the church is the most welcoming place. Now, that may sound weird coming for someone who's been on a church staff since 2008, but in my time, different experiences has, has led me to that conclusion. Church is not always the most welcoming place. Like, like for, for church people, sure, you, you very well may feel welcome when you walk into a church, but for everyone else, not always. And the reason I believe that is, is because churches tend to be designed for church folks. Churches tend to be designed for church folks. And church folks, think about it. They know exactly where to park when they pull in. They know exactly how to check in. They know where the restrooms are. They know all the songs. But, but the problem is, is that every once in a while, a new person shows up or, or a church folk wants to bring a new folk to church and they show up. And, and the reality is, like right now, if you're tuning in and, and just the whole idea of church feels a little uncomfortable, um, the, the reason very well may be because church is oftentimes designed for church folks. And, and you see the inclination of every local church, and I would say, including this church, the inclination, the gradient, so to speak, tends to slope toward insiders, and over time, if we're not careful, we become a church for insiders. We become a church for church folks. And the issue with that is what it communicates to everyone 
else. Because if the church is for folks who are church folks, then that must mean that Christianity is for church folks, which must mean that Jesus came just for church folks. But there's no one tuning in right now who believes that. We don't believe that here, but just the same. There's this inclination to make church for church folks. And if we're not vigilant, if we're not, if we're not intentional, if we're not careful, that will become true about us week in and week out. And so we have to be very intentional to create spaces and services and environments and groups and events and ministries that are not so insider focused, but are open and welcoming to everyone. And we have to see that if we're not careful that that can creep in and we can begin to become so consumed, so, so focused on ourselves that we begin to even miss what's going on because we like it. Because again, it's designed for us, for church folks. But the silver lining in all of this is that we're not alone in the struggle. In fact, the very first church the, the church in Acts, the very first church in the first century struggled with this same tension. They wrestled with this very same issue. Who is the church for? Who is the church for? And fortunately for us in Acts chapter 15, if you have your Bible, you can jump with me there. Acts chapter 15, it details this debate around this question. In fact, we get essentially the notes from the very first church board meeting in Acts chapter 15, where these church leaders, they come together to duke it out over this issue. And, and think about this. I mean, the church is brand new. Like, like, you know, those unboxing videos, maybe your kids watch them on YouTube. My kids are mesmerized. I don't get it. But the church is like brand new. It's only a few years, maybe 10 years old at this point. It, it, it's like essentially under warranty still. And division rises and they have to figure out what they're going to do. So they call essentially this first church board meeting, which if, if you've never been to one, just, just think about adults acting like children in the name of Jesus. That's a church board meeting at times whenever there's disagreement. And so this is the issue. Who is the church for? And throughout the conversation, we'll hear from different players, these big names, these big names of the New Testament. We'll hear from Peter the Apostle Paul, and even Jesus' brother, James. So here we are, Acts chapter 15. Let's dive in. It says that some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. We're talking about folks who were interested in, in church. And, and this is what they were teaching. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so this is the heart of the message that they are teaching. They're saying, listen, unless, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Unless you do this, then you cannot come to Jesus. They're saying, unless you do what we have done, you cannot receive what we have. That's the message that they're giving. And this here, I get it's a little bit graphic, okay, but I think we can handle this. But, but I want you to just kind of see this, that, that they're saying you can't be in unless you jump through this hoop that we have, that you can't be an insider, you can't receive salvation, you can't experience Jesus unless, unless you've been circumcised. Now, now, to be clear, we have Discover Northeast happening next Sunday, right after church, where we're inviting folks who are just interested, new folks around here to kind of come and hear about Northeast. And let me just like ease you right now, this is not a prerequisite. 
Okay, there, there's no surgery to like be a part of what God is doing here at Northeast. None of that is required. And, and so I can only imagine like the mass exodus of guys, whenever this was brought up at, at, at like the, the newcomers class at first Jerusalem Christian church, right? In the first century or at like the, the discover Acts city pizza picnic, right? Like, like, no, I'm out. Uh, okay. So you don't have to worry about that, but seriously, think about at the heart of this, think about what they're communicating. That unless you do this, you can't come to Jesus. Because we see right here, right at the onset, right here, that the, the tendency in the very beginning, the very first local churches, they had this, this issue. What, what they were trying to decide is who is the church for? Who is the church for? And, and in this case... In this case, these men, they were teaching that the church was for Jewish people who've, who've come into a relationship with Jesus, people who knew the law, people who knew the culture, knew the stories, knew the history, and knew all the traditions. And that wasn't sitting right with some of the apostles. So we read verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with this group of people that were teaching. Well, why were they in, in such sharp debate about this? It's because they had been going around and teaching non-Jewish people, like new folks, not the church folks. They've been teaching new folks that the gospel is for everyone. And, and so their audience was primarily like Greek oriented, meaning that they did not know all the customs of the Jews and what they knew. And so we see this in, in um, the next part of verse two. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles. So this is what they're going to do. They're going to send them to Jerusalem, to this meeting, to see the apostles and elders about this question about who the church is for and here's what's so interesting. They're going to see people who were actually with Jesus. But because they think, hey, if we can at least get as close to the source as possible, people who spent time with Jesus, maybe this will help us reorient where we need to go. This will help us decide what our next steps should be. And so division over who the church is for is taking place. And now Paul and Barnabas are heading to meet with the apostles. All right. And, and so they head to Jerusalem to settle this dispute. And essentially they're saying, who's the church for? But, but really it's getting it. Like, do men have to essentially become Jewish before they can become Christian? Like who is the church for? And, and then if, if so, or if not, then how do new folks become church folks? Like what do they need to do? And then verse four, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So they show up and they start telling stories of life change. They start telling essentially like mission updates of like, oh my gosh, man, the Holy Spirit is alive and well and working through this church in this city and in this region. And this is what's happening. And so they're sharing all of these stories about what God is doing through new folks, through people who are not a part of the tradition, through people who are experiencing Jesus for the very first time. And so they're sharing these updates. And then verse five, then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So I want to pause here for just a moment because this is very important that we see who is saying this. This is Pharisees. And if this name, if this title kind of like rings a bell, it, it, it very well is likely 
because you understand a little bit of like New Testament history, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were a group of religious people who were against the Jesus movement, who were against the Jesus movement to the point to where they were actually behind the crucifixion of Christ himself. Okay, so think about this. These guys, these guys are now followers of Jesus. They're part of the wave of hope that he began, but they were also the same guys who crucified Jesus. And so think about that. What would have to happen for someone who's an enemy to become a follower? Like, even if they're not getting it all right, what would have to happen? There's no other logical answer other than the resurrection. Because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Because you, you can imagine this. Like, they, they're finally successful in killing Jesus. They feel like they've put a stop to this whole, whole like, wave, this movement. And, 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 and so then they sit back. And then Sunday comes. And they're thinking, oh, man. Like we very well may have probably most likely got this one wrong because Jesus is alive. And so these Pharisees, they see that and they, they know that something is different. So they want to, to give their lives to it, but they've got so much history and heritage. They're trying to figure out how does this all work out? And, and so the Pharisees, they're saying, they're saying, listen, the Gentiles, they need to do what we've done. They must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. They're saying that's what they need to do. So they stand up and they say, listen, listen, because, because church folks are folks who are law abiding. Church folks are folks who are tradition keeping and Moses modeling and covenant keepers. Like that's who we are and that's who they should be. So if they want to, to be close to Jesus, they should be like us. But I want to remind you, I want to remind you the words of Christ himself in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. You, 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 you can't get to God through any other person, any other avenue except through me. So they were saying that the only way in is to be like us. Well, no, 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 no. The only way in is through Jesus. The only way in is through Jesus. And, and that's what these apostles know. And, and they've heard this from Jesus himself in verse seven. After much discussion, so it's, it's a long meeting, right? You ever been in one of those? Well, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles these outsiders, these, these non-Jewish people, that, that these Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And then he goes on, verse 8. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He says, listen, Listen, we have evidence that God is alive and well because we've seen his Holy Spirit living in and moving through and changing the world around all of these Gentiles, all of these people who are new folks into the church, who, 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 who didn't know the history, who, who they haven't done all of the things according to Mosaic law. They, they're not Jews. These are Gentiles. These are people who are hearing the message. They're responding to Jesus and God accepted them. And he gives them the same gifts that he gives us. He gives them the Holy Spirit and he's treating them as he treats 
us. And, and, and Peter's saying, guys, you remember like, remember all the stories that we're, we're sharing. Remember what God is doing. Remember that, that Jesus himself, he wanted me to carry this message to people who, who've never heard it before. Like, remember, guys, remember when Jesus said, for God so loved the world. Not that for God so loved the church, folks. No, no, no. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He said, remember that the gospel is for everyone. Not just church folks. And in verse nine, he, meaning God, made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. He's saying, listen, God leveled the playing field at the foot of the cross. And in verse 10, now then, why do you, think about this, he's kind of, he's, he's set up his argument and he says, now, why do you put on the neck of the disciples, like these new believers, why do you put on the neck of them a yoke or a burden that neither we nor our fathers are able to bear? He's saying, listen, listen, there's over 600 Mosaic laws, 600. And these are all new people to the faith. We grew up with it. He's saying, listen, I, I grew up learning about the Torah when I was a little kid, just like you did. And he's got these guys and they're all like, yeah, 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 we, we get that. And he said, and, and think about this, just like your daddy did. He grew up in the tradition. He grew up with the heritage, over 600 laws. But then even his daddy, we've all grown up with Jewish tradition, Mosaic law. And we've not been able to keep up with it. We have failed miserably again and again and again. He said, so why would we take these 600 laws and just set them on the necks and on the backs and put this burden on new people who are coming into the faith. He's saying, listen, listen, we grew up with it, but they are new and we're trying to, to expect out of them what we've grown up with. And, and in this moment, I imagine that you could kind of hear a pin drop if, as they're all taking a self assessment and they're taking like a, a personal litmus test and they're, they're kind of letting that sink in. And then verse 11, no, because we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Just as they are. Peter says, no, no, no. Listen, we're not going to expect all of that because that's not, that's not where salvation comes from. Salvation comes from the Lord. And we are saved just as they are because faith comes through Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so they share these stories of life change happening through these outsiders and in their lives. And, and then we get to this moment where one last guy speaks up. One last guy who's kind of been sitting back and has been listening to this whole debate. He's been listening to both sides and, and, and he's been kind of contemplating and trying to figure out what's the wise thing to do. He's trying to discern like, like what literally, what would Jesus do? And, and, and this guy's name is James. And so what James is really considering is what would my brother do? You see, James, he's a key player in the early church. James is the brother of Jesus. But this is what's so fascinating. James wasn't one of the early 12 disciples. No, James kind of comes to faith later in the ministry of Jesus. And think about it. Think about that. Because what would your brother have to do to convince you that he is the son of God? Like, what would your brother truly have to do? I have two older brothers. And they're awesome. 
They ain't the son of God, right? And so what would your brother have to do to convince you? And I believe this, that that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. And so James, the brother of Jesus, he's hearing all of this. He, he knows Jesus. He knows the character, the heart of Jesus. He's this profound leader who's been sitting back and taking it in. And then he finally speaks up and everyone is silent. This is what he says. It is my judgment. He says, this is my stance. This is, this is where the buck stops. This is what we're going to do. He says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He says, listen, I've heard all of this and I'm weighing it in and I'm taking my own perspective and my own experience into this. And this is my judgment. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to make it difficult for people to get to God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to try to make it as simple as possible for people to be ushered into the family of God. And so James, the brother of Jesus, he's saying that the hallmark of the local church in the first century was this, that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Like if you sum all of that up, he's saying we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And that should be the same with us. Should be the same with us. In other words, anything in our church that's an obstacle anything in our church that's an obstacle besides the cross and the resurrection, because at some point, everyone who comes into this place or who tunes in with us has to decide for themselves who Jesus is. So besides that, whatever obstacle comes in, whatever like barrier, whatever moment, somebody has to make a decision. If it is not, if it is not about the resurrection, then, then, we've, then we've put too much emphasis in one area that was never meant to carry that. And instead it should be weeded out. It should be moved aside so that we do not make it difficult for people to come to God. Verse 20 says, instead, instead, James continues. He says, instead, here's what we should do. We should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals and from blood. He goes on and he says, For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. What what he's saying is is this, listen, he's saying, look, I I hear all of you guys. I hear all the tradition, how important that is. But I also see that there's 600 laws you're trying to put on new people. We, we, We can't do that. He said, here's what I think we should do. We should write them and we should tell them that, that, that if they would do a few things, that, that, are, that are highly offensive to Jewish culture and heritage and tradition, then it will, it, it will serve them well. In fact, verse, verse 21, where he says, for Moses has been preached in every city. He said, because these people, like, like they've heard this and, and it'll cause way more division if we try to like put all of these other laws in and people are fighting over like different foods and f- people fighting over all of this stuff. He said, I, I don't want to neglect that. It's important to a lot of people. It is, but, but it's not the most important thing. It's not, it's not Jesus. It does not hinge on salvation. It is not about the resurrection. So, so he says, listen, we're going to ask the new folks who are coming to church just to, just to honor man, a few things that matter a whole lot to Jewish tradition, two moral issues and two cultural issues. And, and the two that deal with food relate to like a kosher method of food preparation designed to keep people from ingesting blood and this sort of thing. And so James says, he, in verse 29, he says, you will do well to avoid these things. He says, listen, you folks, 
You folks, it's all about Jesus. We want you to enter into a relationship with him. And as you walk and step with him, you'll grow more to look like him. You'll begin to shed more sin at the cross as you begin to, to grow in his form and in the way of Christ. But, but that's not a prerequisite. Like you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the boxes checked to come into this. No, no, no. But he's saying it, it will be good for you, man, if you would just respect kind of what's, what's going on in a lot of these areas. And so that's what he says. And the message was simple. Let's not make it difficult to get to God. Let's not make it difficult to get to God. And in that, they declared once again who the church was for. They got back to the basics. And in other words, they proclaimed that the church is for everyone because Jesus is for everyone. That the church is for everyone because Jesus is for everyone. But all throughout church history, from that moment until now, there's tension. Division rises and disagreements take place. And, and, And the reason is because there's this propensity for church folks to design churches designed for church folks. And the more we do that, the more at odds we'll be with people who are just interested or curious or trying to come into the faith. And so we see this, that in the name of Jesus, the church has done some, some heart-wrenching things. The church has done that from, from about a thousand years after this, the, the crusades, right, where we use the name of Jesus to kill people and to take land and to seize cities. And then the, the Reformation came. And, and there's all this hope and there's this newfound excitement and passion because people were getting back to the basics again, back to Jesus and back to living lives that would fit into the pages of the New Testament. But, but then denominations started popping up because disagreements were taking place. I said, well, well, well I, I don't want to do it that way. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it this way. And, and so we see this time and time again where we make it difficult when it was never designed to be. And so that means for us that it would be wise for us to routinely pause and take inventory of the obstacles that we've put in place for those who are trying to get to God. And we do our best here at Northeast to, to uproot stumbling blocks that are unnecessary so that like James, we do not make it difficult for those trying to get to God. You know, it's sort of like when my family goes camping. Like we love to go camping, and, and here's a picture of, of my kids. It's about a year ago. We were, uh, we were uh, hiking the Whippoorwill Trail. So whenever we go camping, we love to hike, and, and we're on this trail. And so um, what I've realized, though, is that, that when I'm hiking with my kids, I have, to be, I have to be very, very intentional with every step I take. I have to be very intentional with every step because, that, because I have to keep in mind, constantly remind myself, even though all of these things are going on and, and, and I have a hike myself, I have to remind myself that I have younger, less experienced hikers following me. And so whether it's like swatting spider webs or, or lifting tree limbs out of the way, part of my job is to remove obstacles to ensure a clear path for my kids. And this is especially true when crossing a creek. If you've ever done that yourself, you have to be very intentional with where you step. But if you've ever done it with little kids, it's, it's even more so. But, but, because I know, 
I know that as their dad, as their leader, as their guide, like I have to ensure that stepping stones are in place to get them from where they are to where they need to be. And so there's literally been times, you tracking with me? There's literally been times where I've had to move big rocks into the past so that they, they would have a stepping stone to move forward so that they would have a, a route, an avenue, a way across. And I've, I've literally moved things in and out of the path based on what they needed. And, and it's for them, not me, for them. Because in the same way, get this, it's the responsibility of church leaders, but not just church leaders. It's the responsibility of church folks to ensure that stepping stones are in place for others for new people or new church folks or for de-church folks or for, for burned by the church folks or never before church folks. It's, it's our responsibility to ensure that stepping stones are in place for everyone to move from where they are to where they need to be. And ultimately that's closer to Jesus. That's where we want so desperately to move people to Jesus, to experience Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus. Then we trust the Holy Spirit to fill in the gaps. We trust the Holy Spirit to transform them, to look more and more like him, but we don't require that at the onset. We make an introduction. We cheer them along and we, we strive to make the path as simple and clear as possible that, that, that we want people to move in a direction that is simple and clear, but it is always and only toward Jesus. And, and what I've seen like actually on those trails is that sometimes my kids, they're not prepared for the hike. And sometimes they, they have the wrong shoes on. Or, or sometimes my kids, they, they get to the hike and they're already exhausted, right? Or sometimes my kids, they're hungry for something I don't have. Or, or, or maybe sometimes my kids, they get caught up on the lingo and they get things confused and it, and it can frustrate me. But after choosing that moment, just because they're more interested in arrowheads than trailheads, after deciding that moment, am, am I going to be frustrated or I'm going to extend grace? And I have to decide. Will I make their path as smooth as possible to move them to where they need to be? And in those moments, in those moments, I have a decision to make because, because I'm, I'm more experienced. And so friends, let's be a church that decides to create paths for others. But let's do our best to remove obstacles that come in the way because since Christ came for everyone, since Christianity is for everyone, we believe that church, that this church should be a church for everyone. And we believe that people should not just feel welcomed here, but they should be welcomed here. And one of the simplest, most practical ways to do your part, like if you call this place home, I'm talking to Northeast Christian church folks, right? Is this to look for new folks and say hello, just to be aware to be aware of people who, who might be coming behind you, who are looking for a path. Be, be aware of the opportunities you have to make that path as simple and clear as they take steps toward Jesus. You know, several years ago, I, I saved a tweet from Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin that, that someone actually shared with me this past week, and it was such a great and timely reminder. I thought I would kind of share that with you. She tweeted this back um, in 2019. And, uh, and, and she says this, she said, my husband has three rules of engagement when we go to church. Number one, an alone person in our gathering is an emergency. 
Number two, friends can wait. And number three, introduce a newcomer to someone else. And she says, man, let's all be missionaries today. Man, like, like, let's approach the opportunities we have to, to welcome people. And, and I know you can kind of hear that, that an alone person in our gathering is an emergency. And, and listen, I get it. Like introverts, you're, you're like shuddering. Some of you tuning in, you're like, that's why I don't want to go. I don't want to be bombarded with, but listen, listen, I, I, I think, I think, yeah, we don't want to throw social cues, like all that aside, like, hey, if you need some space, we totally get that, want to respect that. But, but I believe if we are intentional in seeing people and reaching out to people and saying hello to people and welcoming new folks into the church, it won't be long before they are doing the same. It won't be long before they are doing the very same. But ultimately, we have to choose together. Will we reorient back to the ways and to the teachings and to the simple truth and grace of Jesus. Again, as James said, let's not make it difficult to get to God. Let's not make it difficult to get to God because the gospel is this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short. That is by grace, through faith, that we are saved and, and that, that though the wages of our sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because as Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. That Jesus is the way and we want to point people to that because church, this church, is for everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. God, we thank you for the simple gospel message that is for everyone. God, I'm grateful for this church and for the churches around our city and our region and our world who are committed to presenting the gospel in a simple way. God, I'm, I'm so thankful for people, for churches who are committed to not making it difficult for other people to get to God. Father, help us to be a church that fits into the pages of the book of Acts, that when we, we have dust-ups, we have differences, that we'd lean into the heart of Christ and take our direction from your word. God, help us to each be barrier breakers. God, help us to be wayfinders for those searching for you. Remind us, God, as often as we need, that church is not just for church folks, that is for everyone. Because the gospel, because your son, is for everyone. So Father, we pray these things guided by the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, amen. And what a great reminder today that this place is for you. It's for me, it's for your family, it's for your neighbor, it's for the person who you said and thought would never step into church, that it's, it's for all of us. And that the gospel is a simple one at that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's a free gift to us. And so our hope today is that you were challenged and encouraged to, to take your next step. And maybe that's the first step. And it is, it can be bold and it can be scary, but I just wanna encourage you to say yes. If you feel God stirring in your heart, you feel something moving to boldly say, yes, I, I want to know more. Yes, Jesus, I, I will follow you. Yes, I want to take one more step. We have online hosts standing by who would love to connect with you, who would love to pray with you. You can click the link in the comments below to go over and 
fill out a connect card and someone will be in touch with you real soon. Whatever that step is for you, we want to be your biggest cheerleaders and come alongside and say, hey, let's do this thing together. So would you say yes today? And hey church, we have worshiped together in many ways this morning and it's always an encouraging time when we get together and one of the ways we always worship is through gifts of generosity. And hey, listen, if you're new with us here today, hear me out, this is not for you, okay? This is for our owners here at Northeast. This is for those who have been here for a minute who see what God is doing through Northeast and say, yes, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna come back, I wanna support, and I want to be a part of what God is doing through Northeast. And we just wanna say thank you. We could not do it without you. We couldn't continue to be the hands and feet to those both locally and globally. We wanna say thank you. Okay, no matter how you give, if it's online, if it's through the Church Center app, if it's through the mail, okay, thank you so much for saying yes, for taking that bold step into what God is doing and, and know that you're having a kingdom impact for that bold step. So thank you. Thank you so much. And man, what a great service we have had today. Again, we hope you were challenged and encouraged to take that next step, whatever that next step is. Be sure to reach out. We'd love to pray with you. Be sure to follow us on social so we stay connected and we'll see you real soon.